Hello and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so glad you're listening. This is the first podcast of February. This is uh, episode number eight of the podcast, and February is Black History Month. And so I thought I would take a little time here on this episode of the podcast to to honor Black History Month as best as I can. And I want to do that today by talking a little bit about this thing called white privilege. Now, I want to state from the outset that I am in no way an expert on the sociological phenomenon of white privilege. I'm going to be talking here today pretty much strictly from my own experience. And so while I have, you know, kind of, I've studied a bit and tried to understand white privilege better, there are lots and lots and lots of people out there who know a heck of a lot more about it than me. And so if you if you truly want a deeper understanding, I encourage you to seek out those resources. But the reason I want to talk about white privilege here on the Accidental Tomatoes podcast is that I believe that there are a lot of us who are trying to do better, to to understand better the experiences of people who come from different contexts than than ourselves. Because, Because we believe that understanding and sympathizing and empathizing with people who have come from places of oppression, who have been discriminated against, who have been marginalized in some way is really important to building a better society. So so I got to start out here by saying, uh, as I have a couple of times before on the podcast, that I am a 56-year-old white man. And, and that might make you wonder what in the world I might have to say about this topic of white privilege. Because honestly, at least demographically, white privilege literally describes my life. But before we get too deep into that, because that that's a statement that I really do want to unpack here a little bit today, I want to share maybe, a, I guess, a definition of white privilege um, as best as I can anyhow, and why I think it's important for us to talk about, and especially why I think it's important for for white people to talk about it. So, there's, you, you can find lots of definitions online for, for privilege, for white privilege. The simplest definition that I can kind of come up with is, is that white privilege is the inherent power to control social narratives that comes from being a member of the majority racial group. So what that means is simply this, because, um, because light-skinned people have held a majority position in what I would call Eurocentric cultures, at least. We we enjoy certain advantages within our social and our economic and our political systems and structures simply because our skin is light-colored. And, and the reason for that is, again, because of our majority status in those places, but also because that majority status has allowed us to, you know, to make the rules, as it were, 
we have created a society where whiteness is equated with normal. And I'm, I'm putting air quotes around that word normal, at least for those of us who are white. But, but more than that, we white people have historically imposed, or at least attempted to impose, that sense of normalcy onto non-white people. And that creates inherent advantages for, you know, just to be really honest, for people who look like me at the explicit disadvantage of people who don't. Now, to enjoy the privilege of whiteness does not necessarily make you a racist. I want to be really clear about that. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about white privilege, it can get wrapped up with issues of racism. And, and, and a lot of times white people become like immediately defensive when they hear that term. And, and there's a term for that, right? White fragility is the term for that. And it kind of goes hand in hand with, with our inability to be self-aware enough to recognize that we do have some unfair advantages, some privilege in our society. So to possess white privilege doesn't in and of itself mean to believe that white people are superior and that non-white people are inferior. What it does mean is that we are advantaged, again, by systems and structures, especially political and economic systems and structures, but also a lot of informal social systems and structures that are racist, inherently racist. Systems and structures that were created, that were set up, and that continue to be maintained under the assumption that white equals normal. So what that means is that I have inherent biases of which I'm often not even consciously aware, but which still shape my attitudes about myself and about people, and especially with other people with whom I don't share racial or cultural commonalities. So, so white privilege as a cultural norm reveals itself in a lot of ways from, you know, from during the settlement of America, for instance, the treatment of indigenous peoples and the doctrine of manifest destiny that, that quite frankly still permeates, you know, a lot of colonialist attitudes. And I think we, we like to think that colonialism is something of the past, but, but I think we, we should again, be self-aware enough and honest enough to realize that, that colonialism is still happening today, right? And, and that white privilege is a, a large part of what drives a lot of colonialist attitudes. But it also kind of manifests itself in ways like, like the, way, the unfair ways that young black men, for instance, are disproportionately targeted by law enforcement and the and the astronomical discrepancies in incarceration rates and jail sentences for blacks over whites, especially for black men. But without going real deep into a lot of examples like of what 
white privilege looks like because we could be here all day talking about examples. I really want to get back to something I said back at the beginning of the podcast about how white privilege literally describes my life. So, so the area where I grew up and the area where I still live today is, is one of, if not the whitest areas in the United States. There was, um, there was some census data a few years ago that pinpointed what we call the Mid-Ohio Valley region that, that encompasses most of West Virginia, Southeast Ohio, and maybe Northern Kentucky as, as one of the least culturally diverse areas of the entire country. So my entire perspective growing up in this area was that, that everyone I knew, in fact, really just about everyone I ever saw was white. I honestly, I could probably pinpoint a time when I'm in my childhood when I, I probably only knew that non-white people even existed because of television. And frankly, probably most of that was because of sports. So little little fun fact, the, the first black person that I ever met in person was Jesse Owens, the great Olympic track and field athlete. Um, he was the, the um, featured speaker at my high school's all sports banquet my sophomore year. So, so I was like 15 years old before I ever spoke to or shook hands with a person of color. I think I was probably 17 or 18 or 19 the first time even that an African-American person moved into the community that I grew up in. So, so yeah, to say that I had a homogenous upbringing is fairly an understatement. Now, I'm not um, I'm not casting any kind of a value judgment on that. It just was what it was. Racial diversity simply had not come to my little neck of the woods. In fact, even today, it's still only coming very slowly. But but the point of all that though is is to say that whiteness was all I knew. Even though I was raised to believe that all people are equal, regardless of skin color or gender or nationality or any of that. The fact was that the world as I knew it was white. And so white was what was normal for me. So so the truth is that, that outside of what little I understood about world events beyond my little white pocket of Appalachia, I had no context to even be aware of the societal privileges that my whiteness afforded me. It just was, right? I I did believe that all people were created equal, that people had equal opportunities, that we had laws to protect people's rights regardless of their skin color, and that what that meant was that, at least theoretically, we were all on a level playing field. My reality was so deeply ingrained that I had no concept that other people experienced an entirely and radically different reality. Now, granted, as as I grew into adulthood and began to develop relationships, not only with people of color, but also with folks who came from a more diverse cultural context, and as my own context became more diverse, 
I began to have more of an appreciation for the very real disadvantages that people who were not white experienced. As I learned, for instance, how cycles of poverty worked, I started to see how much more difficult it was for black and brown-skinned people to break free of those cycles. I started to see the inequality behind like the way white people would claim that black people remained in poverty because of their own choices when when they didn't even have the option of making a lot of the choices that, that white people could make. At Accidental Tomatoes, we're building a community of people looking for ways to find faith and spirituality beyond the walls and fences of the traditional church. While our blog and our podcast are always absolutely free, if you'd like to go deeper with more resources and conversations, we invite you to support us through the Patreon platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can receive bonus content, including a monthly newsletter, patrons-only commentary, and much, much more. Just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn how. And now, back to the podcast. So, so all of this really came home for me um, really just a few years ago when I was, uh, I was finishing up seminary and I was required to serve a cross-cultural ministry internship. Now, it, you can imagine how difficult it was to find a cross-cultural internship where I live in an area that is somewhere, I think, demographically almost like 97% white. But, but as it happened, though, I, I had been introduced to the pastor of a small, um, traditionally African-American church in Parkersburg, West Virginia, the spring before my required internship. And so I landed at Henry Logan Memorial United Methodist Church for the summer of 2014 as sort of a student associate pastor. That was, I was really just a summer ministry intern, but that was sort of the role that I fulfilled. Now, while Logan was historically and still is predominantly an African-American community, it had its, it had grown in its diversity in the years prior to my internship. But the bulk of the church's leadership was still made up of the families who had called it home for several generations. And, and that's where I really began to learn about and understand my own white privilege. The people at Logan were without question, the most friendly, the most hospitable, and the most unconditionally loving group of people that I've ever encountered in any church setting anywhere before or since. They welcomed me into their community. They they cared deeply for my family and me, and they openly included us in, in the life of their church. But beyond that, they also did me the great favor and the great service of never pretending like there was nothing different between me and them. And so over time, as I got to know them, as I spent time with them, as I listened to their stories, I learned how many of the things 
that I simply took for granted could be often for them almost Herculean tasks. Things like, you know, going shopping for groceries or in a department store without being watched or followed around. Things like buying a car without being interrogated over whether or not I could secure a loan. Things like how it felt to to have people cross the street when they saw you coming towards them, right? And and to clutch their phone and their keys and, and to just have these fearful looks when they saw you. I listened as as some of the patriarchs of the church, some of the older black men there, told me stories about getting pulled over for a simple speeding ticket and then being harassed and suspected over other, you know, imagined misdeeds. And, and it, it was just stuff that I would have never, ever, ever had to have worried about. I learned from a really terrific and caring ministry mentor, the pastor of the church there, how certain figures of speech that I used regularly out of habit and without any intention whatsoever could carry racial overtones. In, in short, I learned that there was just there was a different way of being in the world than the way that I had always experienced and that I had always assumed was normative for my entire life. A way that was, I guess, sort of looking in from the outside, a way that was constantly being decentered and devalued. And while I deeply, deeply, deeply admired the grace and the class with which those amazing people at Logan dealt with those really almost daily insults, it just absolutely broke my heart that they had to deal with them. And I think maybe that's where an awareness of privilege has to begin. We can never understand another person's perspective on the world until we're in a relationship with them. So yeah, yes, we can listen to their stories, which is important. We should listen to their stories. We can choose to believe their stories, which is even more important. But I think to truly internalize the hurt and the harm that our systems and structures do to people, not just to appreciate it on an intellectual level, but to understand it on an emotional level, we've got to form the kind of trust that only comes from getting to know someone with spending time with them, with with listening deeply to what they have to say, because that's when their hurt becomes our hurt. And that's when we can be open to becoming humble enough, I guess, to recognize our complicity um, in the systems that, that cause that hurt. Now, before I start to come off sounding just completely sanctimonious about all of this, I have to admit that I am still very, very much a work in progress. I I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, have it all figured out. I do not get it right all the time. But let me talk for just a minute about what recognizing my own privilege looks like for me and how I'm continuing to try to learn from it and how and how I think, at least personally, it can make me 
a better friend and a better ally, not just to people of color, but to folks from all kinds of marginalized communities. So the other day I was, um, I was listening to a podcast on Black History Month, and there was this panel of African-American people talking about how, about how black history in, in the U.S. has been decentered by, by white European history, essentially, right? And, and even though I really, honestly, I agreed with everything these people were saying, I, I felt compassion and empathy for the experience that they were relating, at least to the extent that I was able to do so from my own position of privilege, I still caught myself having some, some at least mildly defensive reactions to some things. There was, there was one point when one of the people was talking and I, and I caught myself thinking like, man, they don't need to sound so angry, right? If they didn't sound so angry, maybe people would listen to them. And then I realized, right, they have every right to be angry and I have no place, no right to tell them not to be angry or to sound angry, right? I, I heard myself kind of just internally criticizing that tone and, and then, you know, thankfully within a minute or so realizing like, I don't, I don't have any right to police that tone. I, at one point I found myself thinking, um, again, out of empathy, like what could I do to, to help, right? To, to be helpful in that situation. And then, you know, I had to realize like, nobody's asking for my help, right? I, I don't have any right, you know, to ride in on, you know, no pun intended to ride in on my white horse and save the day, right? That's, that's not, that's not my position. And I'm not being asked to do that. I started thinking again at one point about something that I wrote in my blog the other day about how people who have traditionally been like in, in the center, right, of places of privilege and power and um, control, need to learn to get out of the way to let people from marginalized communities lead. And then like almost in that same breath, as I was thinking about that, I felt this emotional reaction to my own fear of, of letting go of control, right? This, this is deeply internalized stuff, friends. And overcoming it is not easy, but, but it's not impossible, right? It, it just takes awareness and it takes intention. So by way of an analogy, it's, it's sort of like when I made the decision for myself in my preaching and speaking to stop using male pronouns for God, right? And at first it felt a little uncomfortable and, and unnatural, but it was important for me to do it because... I was in relationships with actual people who had suffered um, both physical and emotional trauma from men in their lives. And, and for those folks to try to relate God as a male image was, it, it, it reinforced their trauma, right? It reinforced some of that hurt and some of that harm. And so when I first started trying to do that, to stop using male pronouns to describe 
God, like I slipped up a lot, right? And and it sounded awkward when I would say things like, you know, God wants what God thinks is best for God's people on God's earth, right? And it was just, it sounded really redundant and stuff. But as I've continued to do that with awareness and intention, it, it now it actually sounds weird and unnatural whenever I hear anyone else refer to God as he, right? And so if I'm going to hold on to my genuinely deeply held belief that all people are created equal and have equal opportunities and are deserving of equal treatment, I have to do everything I can to break down barriers to that belief becoming reality, right? So awareness and intention. Again, I am not an expert and by no means do I have all of this figured out. I just think that that I, at least for myself, have to practice what I preach. And hopefully over time, not overnight, hopefully I can get better about it and hope and I can hope to be part of creating a society and a better future where we really, really are all equal. So so that's it for today's podcast. Thanks again for listening. You can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com and across the social media world, you can find us at Accidental Tomatoes. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages for up-to-the-minute announcements and updates of all of the really cool things that are going on in our community here. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebwrites.com, where I blog once a week. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at joewebwrites. If you have ideas or suggestions for future podcast topics, I would love to hear from you. So please contact us again on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please be sure to rate us and review us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in this ongoing conversation that we're creating here. So keep on growing outside the fences and join us next time for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.